But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> It is, for me, a matter of discipline to always preach out of the scripture lessons that are appointed in our Anglican lectionary every Sunday. Um, We have a three-year lectionary cycle, and over the course of three years, we hear from just about the entirety of scripture. There are a few genealogies and passages that are repeated that are left out, but on the whole, we hear from the full witness of scripture over the course of a three-year cycle. Um, The upshot of that is that you are not submitted only to my favorite passages of scripture and my favorite themes were I to be the one choosing them um, but in fact get to hear from the whole counsel of God um, regardless of whether it's what I would have picked or not. It also creates uh, interesting Sundays like this one where three of our four lessons are about money and giving it away which I know uh, is not um, the most favorite topic to hear preached about nor the most favorite topic to preach on But the Bible has a lot to say about money and what we do with it, and so it's incumbent on me to speak about it. Um, In case you missed it, because I know sometimes in the busyness of Sunday and just getting the heart settled, not every lesson um, sticks. Um, Just to quote texts um, from each of the passages, Deuteronomy 15.10, You shall give to a poor brother freely. Psalm 112 verse 9, They have given freely to the poor and their righteousness will stand forever. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is all about Paul rounding up some money from the Corinthian church to take back to Jerusalem. So one thing that has always sort of stuck in my craw a little bit when I hear a sermon about money, when I'm sitting in the pew, is I always wonder, um, is this just the preacher saying that he needs money and it's sort of veiled in like a discipleship lesson? Um, And the answer to that is yes, actually. That's exactly what this is, in part, but only in part. Um, So I want to sort of fully disclose that um, our budget could use a little bit of help as a church. It's not completely unrelated, this question of money. It does have some practical connection for us as a church. And in the spirit of full, full disclosure, which I always appreciate, you know, when you're reading like an article online and it's like, oh, by the way, I do get money from those guys. It's like, okay, well, good to know as I'm reading that piece. Um, One of the reasons that our church budget needs a little bit of help is that the vestry, very graciously and apart from me, um, voted to help me with a personal tax burden that I hadn't made enough preparations for. And so that was unbudgeted for um, and unforeseen, um, what should have been foreseen but wasn't, and the vestry was very gracious to help me. So that's one of the things. There's a couple things in the mix that make our budget, we're a little bit under budget uh, for where we would hope to be Um, at this point in the year. I say that only to disclose what is also the case, behind the curtain, as it were. Um, But it's not the full reason I want to preach about money this morning. I also want to preach about it because, like I said, the Bible preaches about it. And I want to tease out the two different points that I think arise from the Old Testament and the New Testament reading this morning. Both of the points um, can be summarized simply as this. uh, That God calls us to costly generosity. It's that simple. Um, And it's also that vague, as it were, 
the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, we were looking at this during um, Sunday school hour this morning, prescribed every jot and tittle of, if you have this animal, you give this much, and if you do this, you do this much. The New Covenant, as James calls it, is a law of liberty. We're not under the same prescriptions of it must be like this and this and this. Instead, we are invited to a principle, to actually to a person, Jesus, who was infinitely generous, and so we receive from him the principle of, well, not on our part, infinite, but of radical generosity. That's what Paul says in the lesson that we heard, right? He points in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, the reason that you might want to give money to the church in Jerusalem is because look at your master, Jesus. He was infinitely rich, meaning like up in heaven with all power and glory, and in Philippians 2 we hear, was willing to give it all up to become in the form of a servant for our sake so that we could receive everlasting life and the blessing of God himself. So he was rich, became poor for our sake. There's the principle. If we're copying our master, if we're imitating Jesus, we would do the same. We would empty our own riches uh, to bless others. So that's the principle. And actually, I want to sort of install it. I was looking ahead at the sort of lectionary weeks, um, the lectionary readings that are to come in the weeks ahead. And I sort of saw this theme running through the next eight weeks. And I want to call them um, marks of Christian maturity. Things which sort of characterize the mature Christian life. So things which sort of a new believer might not immediately apprehend, but as you sink deeper and deeper into the patterns of a Christ-like life, that they become manifest out of the scriptures and as we see in the lives of the saints. Indeed, you know, one way of um, describing a saint is simply a really mature Christian, someone who really dug in deep to what we all have been given. And when we look at the lives of the saints, they are to a man or, and a woman um, marked by costly generosity. Um, one of my personal heroes is St. Martin of Tours, who in the 300s, uh, before he was even, a, no, he had just become a Christian or was just about to become a Christian, but he's walking along, he's um, sort of, I've just learned recently about military pay grades. Is E1 the starting place? Yeah, he was E1 in the Roman military. So didn't have a lot to rub together. Um, he saw a man who was underclothed and it was winter, and so he took his sort of military tunic and cut it in half with his sword because he would have used that for his blanket and gave it to the man to have a blanket. And so he, Martin, then hobbled along the rest of that winter with only half a blanket. And in our own day, um, we still see saints. We mentioned she, she's famous, Mother Teresa, giving away all that she had. I learned also that she, and this really stuck with me, when she died, they found her feet were all hobbled and gnarled and her bones were really bad in her feet. And they figured out from the sisters, what happened to her feet? And what happened was they would get these shoe donations in and she'd make sure everyone else had shoes first and she'd take whatever was left. So they were ill-fitting, badly shaped shoes that crippled her feet. But it was that sense of costly generosity. The one thing she had, donated shoes, she was willing to give away. But it's not just the Mother Teresas of the world. Um, I have a friend who is a, a tenured professor, and years ago in his career, he figured out what his sort of basic living expenses were to take care of his mortgage and his kids and, you know, his health insurance, like the stuff that you, is needed for life, like God's given us money to take care of our families and stewardship. He figured out kind of how much he needed, and then he just said, well, anything I ever make above that, I'll tithe and give away to the church. And so as sort of raises and promotions and grants come in and he gets more money, he hasn't just sort of then filled in sort of, well, I can buy bigger houses or bigger things. He has taken it all and given it all away off the top. So he still lives comfortably, like reasonably, taking care of his family, but everything off the top he's just given away. 
And I heard that, I was like, wow. Here I am sort of thinking like, you know, 10% is sort of like a hard bargain of a tithe. And, and here's a friend of mine doing that. Um, so those are just some instances. So this principle that the scriptures put forward of costly generosity, when we look at the scriptures from today, and really throughout the whole witness of scripture, there's normally two different ends which are put forward as sort of destinations of our generosity. And they're very simply church and charity. It's kind of intuitive, but the scriptures say it um, all the time in different ways. So those are the two things I just want to unpack a little bit. Um, The first I want to speak about uh, charity, meaning money to the poor. We all know, it's sort of famous in our culture, that Jesus said, um, the poor you will always have with you. And even when I first heard that scripture, I also sort of received what I think is kind of a common intuition about this scripture. of, Oh, well, therefore, like, well, we'll help them as we can, but they're always going to be with us. So, you know, you don't want to always be like pouring water in a bucket with a hole in it, like kind of as if it nudged against generosity. Um, But Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 15, which we heard read, which says, the poor you will always have with you, and in plain day says, therefore always be generous. Basically saying, the need will never stop. There will always be a hungry mouth to feed somewhere nearby. The poor being always with us means we are always called to minister to them with what we have. Um, It's even held up in verse 9 that if we're presented with a need and we harden our heart against it, I mean, follow, look, um, this isn't me. Deuteronomy 15, chapter 10, sorry, Deuteronomy 15, verse 9. It actually says to not give in a case of present need when you could help. The scripture calls a sin. Which is sort of a tall, strong, moral teaching in the face of what we usually think about charity. Like, well, if I'm feeling about it and I'm not too busy is kind of our general MO. It's my MO. Um, the scriptures are saying, no, 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 no. This is really serious to the order of sin if we completely harden our hearts against it. It's not just... Um, threat of warning, there's also promised blessing, right? The very next verse in Deuteronomy 15 says, if we give, um, the Lord will bless you in all your work. Um, As we also talked about this morning, there is some unfortunate sort of false teaching out there in the world that says, give money to this organization or this ministry or to these people and and get more money, (laughs) right? It's greed veiled under the flag of virtue. God actually isn't promising that. I think the psalm gives us the lens for interpretation. Psalm 112, verse 9. Feel free to look at it in your bulletin. They've given freely to the poor, and their righteousness stands fast forever. So they gave away materially, but it, what they received was spiritual. Righteousness you know, doesn't have a trade value at the bank. <laughs> um, they, they get, if you give financially, we receive spiritual blessings. God will promise to take care of us, but he promises us that out of the gate because he's our good father. Um, When we give away financially, we receive spiritually. There was a great preacher um, in the late 300s named John Chrysostom. Um, Chrysostom means golden-mouthed. He was such a good preacher. They said, his mouth is like gold. (laughs) Uh, He said that the poor are like God's bank tellers, that when you give them money, they take it spiritually up to God and there's a reward waiting for you in heaven in the, savings, the, the heavenly savings account. Now that's an extended metaphor, but I kind of like thinking about it that way. When I encounter poor people around the place, the really poor, the, the begging poor, the traveling poor, um, to think, oh, there's one of God's bank tellers. And I do think when we think about the poor, 
It's right to bring into that conversation prudence and wisdom. What will really help this person? It's right to bring that in. But in my own heart, I know, I sometimes use that question to sidestep the need to give it all altogether. And I think, you know, we often ask the question, like, well, are they deserving? Could they be doing something else other than being poor? Um, are they going to use this money wisely? And one of the things that's really set my heart free is just to realize, no, they're not deserving. And, and neither am I. Like, when in the Christian economy, deserving is not a word that kind of should filter in very often. It's like, no, 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 I'm not deserving of God's kindness. No one else, we don't deserve anything except the only language the scripture would use for deserving would be punishment, actually, from God. Everything else is free. It's an act of grace. And that's why I love that Paul, in sort of coming up with a tagline for this money he's collecting, he calls it an act of grace. Not something you have to do. It's a mark of a mature Christian. It's not something that you're sort of compelled or that is somehow, I don't know, some exchange of worthiness. He's saying it's an act of grace. Bless someone in need. Make the act of grace. And so in our prudence, we, there may be times to, to not give cash to someone who asks for it. But then what you might give, take the sort of 20 minutes it takes to hunt down a ministry in the area that might be helping what that person needed and give that money to them. Like don't let a prudent holding back of money in, sort of a, in a personal exchange mean that you don't actually still then help that person that has a real, a real need. I think, I think you can give cash to the poor who ask for it. You can also give money to ministries that help the poor. Um, and if you want help finding them, I can help find one. There's a, ha- there's a good handful doing wonderful work in the area. Um, so yes, yeah, so I say all that about the poor. And it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about the poor because there's sort of this... I don't know what it is, but there's, it's like when we spend so many waking hours laboring hard to keep a roof over our heads, to pay the bills. There's something a bit sort of like jarring about someone who's not doing that, either by incompetence or, or, or whatever other reason. And I think the Lord really calls us, especially in our day and age, to really cultivate a merciful attitude towards the poor. That is uh, unequivocally the message God gave to Moses, written down in Deuteronomy 15. He gave it to David in Psalm 112 um, and throughout the scriptures. So that's sort of the first destination of costly generosity is the poor. And the second I want to touch on just briefly um, is to the church. Um, Like I said, Paul is collecting money uh, for Jerusalem and he sort of goads the Corinthian church by referencing the church he'd been to before. He says, I was recently in Macedonia and they don't have two pennies to rub together and they still gave to those in Jerusalem. So he's saying that the call to give lands on to all comers, whether you have lots of discretionary income or hardly any discretionary income. God invites you, actually calls you, calls me, calls all of us to be generous with churches and with the poor. As I said before, he gives, Paul outlays the reason for this is because of the pattern Jesus. And the reason I think that this could all be filed under the heading of marks of Christian maturity is because Paul gives this list of things the Corinthian church is already good at. Let's listen to this verse that I began with again. He says, As you excel in everything, you're great at faith, you speak well about Christianity and and and, um, generally, you have knowledge and earnestness. Right? I mean, those are marks of a good church. Thanks be to God, they exist in this church and in many, many faithful churches in the country. And Paul says, See that you excel 
in this act of grace, this generous giving as well. Like, add this into the mix of what you're already doing well as a sort of mere Christianity. Again, not because the church deserves it, or, or the people in Jerusalem were sort of more deserving than the people in Corinth or Macedonia who needed it as well, um, but just as an act of blessing, gracing other people. Um, if we heed this biblical call to costly generosity to the poor and to the church, um, I meant to say it, to just generosity, it will inevitably be costly because there's always needs in the church somewhere. There's always the poor who need something somewhere, which means the amount of money which we have at our discretion will eventually sort of become less and less. And I think, in, in fact, um, I heard a wise teacher say once, what if God only gave us gifts that cost him nothing? It shook me because so often I only want to skim off of the top in a way that doesn't come against what I would like to spend my money on. But if we start really heeding the biblical call, our own, the life we would like to live, actually gets paired back a little bit to be a bit less than the life we might like to live because we heeded the call to costly generosity. And that's a good thing. It makes this life a bit harder and a bit less comfortable. But there's profound spiritual blessing in doing so now and in the next life. The right, our righteousness will stand fast forever. And in, the, in an American context, the Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14 stick out. He says, our abundance should supply others' needs. That's a very simple summary. Our abundance should supply others' needs. Amen.